Good morning. Hello. This week, we're going to explore the world of home winemaking. We recently received some questions from a couple friends and a couple listeners about, um, you know, making wines out of grapes and other things. So we thought, hey, this is a great time to dive in, especially because it's the time of year where people are harvesting things, crushing things, turning grapes and other fruit into wine. Ash is going to lead the questions, and hopefully all of our home winemaking listeners will feel a bit more confident and um, in their winemaking at home. But also, I just want to put out there, first and foremost, the best resource you have as a home winemaker are other home winemakers and your local brew shops. Like last night, Haley, I was talking to a friend who's done winemaking, and that has been my like number one resource. Yeah, so, um, for making your yeah. cider this year? Correct. So again, not wine, but you know, similar. Fermentation. Wine adjacent. (laughs) It's 51% apples (laughs) or pears. 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 Yeah. Didn't have apples this year. So with that, let's uh, dive into it. The first question I have for you are what are the key things in the process that make home winemakers or what are the key things that home winemakers need to think about? I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Yeah, I think that um, if you have no idea about fermentation or um, you've never like made homebrew or kombucha or like you have never managed a fermentation before, you're going to want to read read, 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 like just be voracious in your, or, you know, now it's so cool because we have so many ways of, um, getting new information. Yeah. There's YouTube, there's (laughs) podcasts like ours. Feel free to listen to this one a couple of times. If you think it's going to be helpful, um, find a couple other, I'm sure there's some homebrew, um, podcasts out there as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, just kind of be voracious in your knowledge transfer. Try to find some of that stuff that um, is going to help you. If you have managed a couple fermentations before, whether that's, like I said, kombucha or home brewing, you kind of know the little things that you're going to need. Um, you're going to want to to be able to measure your sugar um, or your ripeness okay. level of your fruit. Um, the bricks. Mm-hmm. We, typically in North America, we use, or I should say the U.S. I don't know about North America in general, but oh. um, we use bricks. Um, that's just a, a sugar um, a scale, uh, how much sugar is in a product. And um, for grapes, you can be harvesting your at your bricks level anywhere between like 17 or 18 is pretty low or on the lower end. Um, that would be more of like a white wine or sparkling wine all the way up to like 24, 25 bricks, sometimes even higher if you're in a really warm area. Or I don't know what what kind of bricks levels you're looking at for um, certain other fruits. You know, like um, one of our friends is making f- or um, has another friend that's making fig wine. So um, I have what? no idea... <laughs> what level of bricks they're working with there. Um, So, yeah. And then... And I assume people can, like, look that up for their... If they are doing a different, like, fruit wine. Yeah, I would assume that that's all over the internet. If if you just search for, like, when do I harvest my figs to make fig wine? I'm sure there's an article somewhere on the interwebs. 
you're going to want to be able to measure that sugar. For most hobby home winemakers, that's going to be a refractometer. So it's just this little, um, this little tool. Most brew shops <laughs> have them, and you can buy them um, online or at your brew shop. And it's I don't know, they're twenty bucks maybe. Um, you probably can find them online for cheaper. And um, you're going to squeeze some juice onto that. Um, there's like a little. Uh, window that you squeeze it on the juice onto and then you look through uh, an eyepiece and it gives you a range of what the sugar is. Typically they're pretty accurate. I'm so glad you brought that up Haley because I recently learned this when um, helping out with there's a really awesome group called the Portland Fruit Tree Project here in Portland area and they're all about like teaching people about how to deal with their like fruit trees and their different like fruits um and they provide amazing education and I went there to learn and they had one of those that we all got to test and it what's cool is yes for um using it for you know kind of when to basically yeah you you, we just he used it for an apple Mm -hmm. to say like okay hey this is when it is and then we know that we can harvest all our apples right now yeah so you can literally take like if you're making let's we're we're gonna this this applies to all fermentation, like Ashley's making pear cider, but we're really going to talk mostly about grapes. So like you can take a single grape and squeeze that out onto the thing. Or my suggestion um, is to kind of cross over into that non-hobby home winemaking. Um, if you're using real fruit and you have access to that fruit, like it's grown on your property, I would say pick two or three clusters, put them into a Ziploc bag, squish them up or into a bowl, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. squish them up. Get get a composite. What we what we say is a composite sample, um, because if you have three or four vines, or you know, however much, two or three clusters, it's not, you know, it's not like you're eating into a huge amount of the um, wine you're going to be making. So maybe take a composite, yeah. or what we will we'll call a composite, to get a more accurate um, sugar reading. Because just one grape. You might be like, oh my gosh, my sugar's so high. But really, you are just attracted to that really pretty grape off of that cluster that's more ripe than the other grapes. So I like to use the term more representative sample. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so what you kind of started talking about it, but let's let's key into some of those um key differences between the home um winemaking process as well as let's just do like small scale um professional winemaking because I think there's gets to be some larger nuances when you get ramp it up but I'm just thinking those people that are doing that small so just so that people kind of know like okay this is where home winemaking's at and this is and maybe like there's some similarities right so I th- I think that the biggest I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you you surpass the home winemaking level when you get to um, like you have a barrel's worth of wine or something along okay. that that lines like um, if you're making your wine and most of it is in carboys in your garage or mm-hmm. in your basement or in your like you have a special shed for it that's that's still in my mind like on that hobby level when you get to the point you might even have really cool um um equipment like you might have found a winery that was upgrading and you bought their destemmer so you have this like super fancy machine but if you're still Mm -hmm. like storing most of your wine in carboys Mm -hmm. that's a that's 
that's kind of my break point in terms of what I would consider home winemaking or hobby winemaking and like a professional grade winemaking where you're you're storing your wine to age it in barrels. Um, okay. And there's definitely some some more like home winemaking styles that or um, levels that that upgrade to that level and they buy barrels and they're doing that. Um, but when you get to that point, you definitely have a bigger learning curve of figuring out what, um, how to make things more efficient, how to run it more like a business, because you have a certain volume of wine that you're working through. So it's not necessarily that like, hey, I have whatever licenses, permits to be able to sell Mm -hmm. wine. Um, It's more of, you're talking about just the pure volume. And so that's where the similar similarities in hey, I'm still maybe like not selling this and not doing it, but I'm doing it at such a volume that right. I'm reaching those uh, winemaking techniques mm-hmm. that are needed in more of the professional. That's right. There is okay. a break for sure when you need to get permitting. And I think um, I should know it off the top of my head, but there's a certain number of gallons each mm-hmm. adult family member in in your family like that that lives yeah. on the premise um, where the wine's being made that you can legally make and once you o- surpass that technically you're supposed to get licensing from your local and federal um uh okay. people <laughs> so definitely so that that number is Ugh. Is that a similar number across the United States or For is the that fe- something yes. by state? No, it's it's the same across um, across okay. states because it's controlled by the federal government. Um, and I'll, okay. like I said, I should know that off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, so we'll uh, look that up and put it in the show notes. Okay. So yeah, that that is a huge difference between professional or um, I don't know what else to call it, professional and, and home winemaking. Like if you get to a certain number of gallons, you have to get, federal permitting. So if you're looking at it just purely from that, that perspective, it's a number of gallons that you're making. But that's also kind of where I consider like, there's a breaking point when you're when you have the right equipment. And Mm -hmm. you have a certain volume because um, you're able to fill barrels and things like that, rather than trying to keep carboys full, and that kind of stuff. So okay, yeah. Could you just step back a second and and maybe talk about like I know that you've thrown out a lot of words <laughs> of of tools, but maybe could you just speak to like hey, I've never done this before. I'm I'm interested in it. Yeah. What are like some of the main tools that somebody needs to pick up at that home yeah. brew level? We had a friend, um, one of Marshall's friends call and say, hey, I've got these grapes growing in my yard. I think I want to make wine. What should I do? So we just went over Mm -hmm. this with him. And he doesn't have any experience making wine or doing any fermentations. So we kind of walked him from, you know, the basics and and had very similar conversation that we're having now. So the first thing is, yeah, go and get a refractometer, whether you're borrowing it from a friend just to see what kind of sugar levels you have. Mm-hmm. Also, trust your trust your palate. Like if you taste a grape, uh, some of your grapes, and you think, whoa, those are, those are not sweet at all yet. Like they're so zingy and have tons of acid. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not ripe. That's immediately what you think. Like, whoa, those aren't ripe. 
uh, probably not the best to make wine with. You definitely want a balanced grape. Um, like if you're tasting your grapes, you want them to taste somewhat ripe before you're going to be making wine. Um, but you also don't want to just have sugar. You still want to have some acid there. So you don't want to taste a, like what you're looking for in grapes um, to eat when they're like in on the table or in jam is going to be different mm-hmm. than what you're looking for in wine. So you still want to have some acid there. Um, okay. I think that's a problem that a lot of new winemakers, um, especially on in the home winemaking scale, make is they sometimes wait too long to pick their grapes because they think, oh, I'll just wait till all the sugar is formed. And they don't realize there's a balance between the acid and sugar. So, And then you get really sweet. Yeah. Or there's wine. just, or it's just very, um, like it's high alcohol and there's just not a whole lot mm-hmm. of uh, backbone to it because there's not very much okay. acid to counterbalance uh-huh. that high alcohol. Um, the other thing is be willing to go to your local brew store or call people that you know that are that you know have made beer or wine before and say, hey, I'm planning on doing X, Y, and Z. What do you think? And getting feedback. Um, That knowledge transfer is really important. So once you think you have grapes that are ripe enough, um, Mm -hmm. you want to, well, even before that, you want to decide what style of wine you're going to make. Are you making white wine? Are you making red wine? Are you making sparkling wine? Are you making fig wine? (laughs) Like there's so many things that... You, yeah. you need to do before you even decide to pick. So if you're going to make white wine, you want to, um, because you're if you're making this for the first time, you want to go to your brew store and say, I need to rent a, a grape press because most brew stores mm-hmm. have a miniature grape press to rent. And they'll let you rent it. And um, you probably, even though it looks very clean, you want to clean it before you use it. So if does that look similar to a cider press or I just think I of think like so. the industrial grade one that looks like a weird bathtub stainless steel thing <laughs> yeah. like moving around. So the <laughs> the ones that you'll probably get from the brew store are it's going to have like wood slats and it's called a basket oh. press. So you put all of okay. your fruit into the basket that's like a wood wood lattice um and then you stick a thing on top and then you crank mm-hmm. it down and it just presses it that's exactly what I had for my pear press yeah I'll call it yeah okay so cleaning is very important in the winemaking process um mm-hmm. you don't want to use bleach please don't use bleach when you're making wine <laughs> why is that Haley so when you use bleach um it can cause a certain type of mold to sporulate is the word that I've been okay. told. I'm not an expert on on molds. And that mold is actually what causes cork taint. So you don't even necessarily okay. need to be using corks mm-hmm. in your when you're bottling to get cork taint in your wine. So if you use bleach on that um, wine press, you could, mm-hmm. one, be causing other issues with that wine press, but you could also be making making your wine get cork taint before you even start making it. And anybody else that's going to use that press afterwards might have cork taint as well. So don't use bleach at your brew store. What do you use? At your brew store, they should have a couple different um, options for you. They call them different things um, on that hobby scale. So in the winery, what we use is a peroxy, which is kind of like um, what what I refer to as your soapy, like scrubby, get things nice and clean. Then you want to rinse it. And then you want to mm-hmm. use a sanitizer 
And in the in the mm-hmm. most wineries, um, that's going to be an acid. Um, so we use parasitic acid, um, okay. and we um, then you would rinse everything after you you use the parasitic acid wash. Then you're ready to put your if you're making white wine, put all your stuff in, juice mm-hmm. it. Put it into your carboy or um, whatever you're be, you'll be fermenting in. Sometimes um, nowadays it's um, more common to see like stainless steel um, kegs because they seem to be okay. more readily available. So whatever you're going to ferment in, make sure you leave enough headspace. So like a couple inches from the top, depending on how big your vessel is, just so if it does get foamy or bubbly, you're not going to be like overflowing and making a huge mess. And you said a couple inches. Yeah, it, d- it just depends okay. on the size of your vessel. The other suggestion I have, especially if you're going to be fermenting in your house or even your garage, um, is to mm-hmm. put that vessel inside a tub. So so it doesn't explode. And, so if it does uh, overflow, it's easy to clean up <laughs> rather than like, oh, yeah. now we just have like a giant puddle in the middle of our... Hardwood floors yeah. and we want to cry. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, having a big tub that it can sit inside and you can get those at, um, like we talked, um, a while ago about where we buy some of our clothes and stuff, like at your local feed shop store and that kind of stuff. You could even do like a giant Tupperware. Like, yeah. Or yeah. Depending bin, on the size you know, of your vessel. Tupperware. So <laughs> if you're making red wine or, um, you want to have your, um, whatever, um, fruit you're using sit on the skins or whatever the you think that that's going to give you more flavor or tannin or whatever it might be, color especially, that's where you're going to get color. So if you're planning on making a red wine and you have red grapes and you just use your press, you're not going to get red wine. You might get a pink wine. Probably it's going to end up pretty light though. Um, So if you want to make a red wine, you have to um, have all of your skins stay with the juice. So in that case, don't use a carboy. It's going to make it way, way too hard to get it into the carboy and too hard to clean. Use, go to the store and get a brand new trash can. Yes, the trash can. (laughs) I was waiting for it. Yes. So um, get a trash can, clean it the same way that you you would clean this, like we just discussed, like kind of have like a a peroxy, rinse it, parasitic, and then rinse it again, just to make sure it's nice and clean. Put your grapes, you can even pick them into it. Okay. And then once they're all picked and in your trash can, jump inside it and stomp on them. Yes. You can probably, some brew stores have destemmers, like a little crank thing Mm -hmm. that will kind of pull the stems in one direction and push the berries out another. But if you're doing stuff at home, you don't necessarily need that. You can do a whole cluster fermentation and just mush them up with your feet. And even after um, it kind of starts fermenting, you can start pulling the the stems out if you decide you don't want them in there. Uh, That trash can, again, you can get it from like any place that's, has a trash yeah. can you don't necessarily go need to go to your home brew store to pay no. probably a premium <laughs> on your trash can but is there any recommendations of like a metal trash can Ooh, versus no. a plastic yes i would say plastic okay i would not suggest a metal trash can because a lot of those metal trash cans are galvanized um steel mm-hmm. and that is not food grade uh galvanized okay. steel is not food grade um uh material what if you wanted to splurge for a giant steel 
bucket would that be okay <laughs> yeah yeah you could definitely like get a, like a stainless steel um bucket or i'm sure homebrew stores have um kind of some miniature size things um okay. to do fermentation in so the big thing if you're doing reds is you want enough room in your vessel mm-hmm. so that you can reach in and do punch downs or okay. pump overs so if you get really into this home winemaking you might even decide to like drill a hole in the bottom of your of your um, trash, not in the bottom, but like near the bottom so that you have, you can put Mm -hmm. a spigot in so that you can then Mm -hmm. like draw off some juice and pour it over the top. Like you might get super fancy like that, but um, more than likely you're probably just going to like, you know, twice a day, roughly you're going to, once your fermentation starts, uh, go in there and push down all the solid stuff that floats to the top, push it down into the juice Uh so that one gets air in there to the yeast so that they're happy mm-hmm. Two, it disperses some of that heat because the juice mm-hmm. is typically going to typically going to be pretty cool and all that heat is going to rise to the top and be in the cap and three okay. it's going to help keep your fermentation kind of more even so that yeast is able to kind of circulate throughout the the um vessel even though it's a small vessel and make sure that everything is kind of the same in the same stage of fermentation rather than if you weren't to touch it at all you know maybe the the juice would be way further along than all of the solid stuff that's up in the cap so with the trash can method you have it it's open Mm -hmm. like you're not capping it but then the other one where you're using like a little carboy or something that's actually like closed container right so you're 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 gonna have issues with bugs and stuff you don't want everything to just be like open to the elements you're gonna want to cover it with a sheet or um, mm-hmm. you could cover your trash can with a lid. Mm-hmm. I would say you probably are going to want to put like a piece of cloth and then the lid just so you have less mm-hmm. issues with bugs. Um, bugs can be mm-hmm. a really, uh, they can be vectors of other yucky stuff like acetic acid and things like that. So trying to keep the bugs um not part of your fermentation is good. But then, yeah, like if you're making white wine, you have everything in a carboy, you're going to get a special bung that goes in the top of the carboy that actually has a hole in it and then Mm -hmm. at the brew store you're going to buy an airlock so that airlock is like a little pin that goes in there that you put water in so that all of that co2 can bubble and or not bubble but it can off gas and be let out Mm -hmm. but nothing's going to get in Again, so that's gonna not have so white wines not having as much oxygen and airflow as red wine, right? Interesting. Um, and part of that is because you don't have the solid stuff in there, so you don't necessarily need to disperse heat and stuff. But you can't, like, if you think that your white wine is stinky or, um, like it's like looks like it's not going well, like the fermentation just isn't taking off the way that um, you Mm -hmm. think it should. This is also very easy to see if you have several different carboys going at once. Sometimes you can be like, whoa, this one's like really going and that one is not. Um, You can mix them up. You can um, dump the carboy out into like a jug and then dump it back in so that you're just getting some oxygen in there. So that's, that's kind of like home winemaking 201, like how to fix problem fermentations. <laughs> yeah. In terms okay. of the airlock system too, with making white wines, um, I would say it's a the airlocks are great as long as your mm-hmm. fermentation is like just kind of slow and steady. If they're like really going, you just might want to grab a a washcloth or a piece of cloth and like put that over with a rubber band around your the top of your carboy because it might be off gassing that much that you just don't want to. Or if it starts foaming, okay. 
then everything gets yeah. into that airlock and it just gets gross in there. Like, yeah, just. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, I think, a very key difference to think about of like just thinking, going back to, you know, our yeast conversation a couple many episodes ago. <laughs> um, go check that out. But thinking about the role that oxygen plays in keeping yeast happy and yeah. not wanting like an anaerobic situation when you don't want it. And so that's what I'm thinking about as we're, you're talking about this kind of more enclosed system mm -hmm. versus a open system. Right. So that's cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you have with red wine, there's going to be one last kind of step in this fermentation and that's getting all the solid stuff out. So you're going to want to go, mm -hmm. well, there's, two options. You can go, you can draw off as much of the juice, especially from mm -hmm. the bottom as you can and put that mm -hmm. into your carboy if you're going to age or barrel if you're, if you've got a barrel um, mm -hmm. or into your bottles, if you're not going to age them in like a carboy with oak. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, if you've got a bunch of solid stuff that you're like, oh, there's still a bunch of juice left in here. I want to be able to get this juice. You can rent, um, a, a press from your brew store, or mm -hmm. you can draw as much of that juice off as possible, get in that carboy, squish it as much as possible and like get as much of the juice out as possible, draw that off mm -hmm. um, and do it that way. The other way that depending on the size of your fermentation would be to get like a, a brew bag or a, a nice big um, cheesecloth and like put as mm -hmm. much of that into the cheesecloth as possible and like wring it out. Okay. Yeah. I think that I've used that. One of my questions that I was thinking about as you were saying that is thinking about the leaves or the sludge, the stuff at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that it's really important as you're drawing it off that you're not pulling too much of that mm -hmm. too. Correct. So that's if you, if you're going to be aging stuff, then you're going to have an opportunity mm -hmm. to let all that sludge settle out so that you don't okay. pull a lot of it off. Um, but is some of that going to be in those bins before you kind of get to that next process, yes. right? So if you decide mm -hmm. to bottle basically right after fermentation, you're going to have some sludge in your bottles. Okay. But if you decide to let it settle, you, which mm -hmm. you, for red wine, you don't want to do with all of the stuff in there. You want to be able to get the juice off of the skins and stems and seeds. Yeah, yeah, and then you can let things settle out. If you're going to let things settle out, you want to have those vessels. Uh, so that's what I would call like aging. So mm -hmm. you, you want to have those vessels topped as much as possible because they're not fermenting anymore. They don't need that space um, to like bubble up. They mm -hmm. just, you want to have them topped so that there's very little oxygen that's oxidizing the wine because that's another place that you'll start yeah. to have problems. If you can't top up your vessel consider moving it into two smaller vessels if that's an option if not you're just going to want to be like tasting it and smelling it quite often and then as soon as you think oh something might not be right here or as soon as you think it's ready go ahead and bottle mm -hmm. it um okay just be very careful i guess is my point and then okay. if you're so there's a really cool it's a racking or auto siphon with a racking thing um, at most brew stores. So it's like a little auto siphon. So it's this big tube with a little tube inside of it and you kind of open oh, it yeah. up and then close it. And it's, it's starts siphoning out of your vessel, but it's got like a, mm -hmm. it has a, I don't know what to call it, a, a foot on the bottom of it so that it doesn't mm -hmm. touch the bottom of your vessel. 
So oh, okay. so you're able to kind of pull off on that above the layer of Lee's lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't use that one. But I <laughs> think okay. that that's, that's... Uh, people that don't necessarily yeah. haven't ventured into that terminology, that's what it's going to look oh, like. Oh, completely. <laughs> completely. Is there anything else with that? Or should... um, I mean, again, your local brew store is going to be a wealth of knowledge, especially if you go in and yeah. you're like, I want to do this and this. They'll be able to say, oh, you need this and that. Um, you need to... And YouTube. Yes. YouTube is huge. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, I just made, I just, I just installed gutters this weekend, which has nothing to do with wine, but I will YouTube. say that it was definitely one of those scenarios where it's like, I went to my brew store, I got all the things I got home. And then I was like, but wait, this doesn't work. And then I found a YouTube video that stepped through every single process yeah. of it. And so like, I hope you didn't, I hope st- that you were just using the brew stores. I hope you went to your hardware store and got stuff for your gutters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was trying to make a connection yes, yes, there. I know, I know, I'm I just know. saying, I, I went to the hardware store. Right. I got what everything that I like thought I needed. And then I got home and I was like, wait a second, this, how does this right. work? Mm-hmm. And so I think, well, everyone kind of has that moment. And so just knowing to like be resourceful and like quickly, like either call up your brew store again or stop yeah. by or, or look at the, go you know, to have YouTube. somebody on hand, you know, check out these episodes, that kind of stuff to just like, oh, what do I do again? Yeah. You know, I think so. that it's, it's uh, huge. You need to have those resources and multiple resources because someone might explain to you and you're like, yeah, I got it. And then you start the project and you start looking at it and you're like, ah, this doesn't make sense. So being able to go to a different resource is very helpful. I think people hopefully have a pretty good like start on that. I have a couple quick questions to kind of finish up our conversation. Are there any fun hacks? Um, (laughs) Thinking like maybe I've heard of making it in a bathtub (laughs) or just like some funny things that uh, people could be aware of. Uh, I think one of the big things I like about winemaking is definitely how creative you might have to be. And so I'd love to hear a couple of those fun ideas. Yes. So in terms of hacks, um, I'm sure there are like so many um, little tips and hacks that most hobby and home winemakers have. Like the couple that I have from the very limited experience that I had was one trust your equipment (laughs) um there were a couple times that we were like there's no way that this hydrometer is reading correctly there's no way we have this much sugar and then um we had like a very once our fermentation took off it took off that so yeah trust your equipment if you have good equipment don't buy a if you're planning on doing this for a couple seasons buy a trash can that's a different color than the trash cans you use for trash. <gasps> Such a good point. <laughs> and if they're like, if you get a good deal, consider buying four or five so that you can make up cleaning chemicals in the other trash cans mm-hmm. so that you don't have to be like yeah. going back and forth from your sink, that kind of thing. Um, and then... And label them really well. Yes. That, that's something that I know that we did. I mean, it was like at the professional grade, but like Labels. having different mm-hmm. duct tape um, that was different colors for different things. Like I know that like our whites versus our red, oh, yeah. we had different colors. And then like sometimes even just putting different color like tape on it so that you would know like, oh, hey, this was... Yeah. 
you know, at this stage of the process or whatever. And depending, like use those visual cues. Completely. Depending on how um, scientifically minded you are or how like, mm-hmm. ah, I just like to go with the flow. Um, no, kind of figure out what works for you and find some resources online. Like if you're, if you're planning on doing this for a couple of years and you really want to learn along the way, Mm-hmm. search for fermentation logs and like make up your own okay. little like, okay, I'm going to check it once a day or every other day or whatever it might be that works for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to write down when I inoculated it, what I inoculated it with, like when I pressed it, when I bottled it, like, or if you're like, I don't, it doesn't like, I'm not that I don't need to be tied yeah. down to that information. Then you don't need it. Um, what I have found too, um, and like same with duct tape and everything is, um, laminators, uh, oh, yeah. cutting out pieces of paper and then laminating them so that they go around the edge so that you can have yeah. them. Even if it's like your cheat sheet for, um, like your, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what we have. We have them on everything cause we need tons of cheat sheets, but <laughs> Um, yeah. And you can even have boxes where you're like checking it off with the Sharpie yeah, of like exactly. the stage. I think I've seen that at your place. Yeah. I was going to say your, um, your comment about the logs reminds me, I know that I keep jumping back, but it just reminds me of our conversation with gig about him and learning the cider making process yeah. and the recipes and being able to go back to that the next year and say what worked, what didn't yes. use that as a learning opportunity moving forward. Yes, completely. Yeah. So those are okay. my hacks. I'm sure there's more, like I said, talk to your, talk to other people that are making wine and at home. Cause there's gotta be so many hacks. Yeah. I love lists. So I like yes. that idea of like putting it in and then going back. I, I know that in my professional world too, of just like going back and saying, okay, I already did this, but what did I do last right. time? And like, what am how I can I add on to mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. My last question, and we kind of already talked about it, but I just really want to know how do we not kill ourselves <laughs> in winemaking process? Of yeah. Ethanol? So the biggest thing for winemaking um, and fermentation in general is Carbon dioxide is a bad thing. Unlike carbon monoxide, you can smell carbon dioxide. So um, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to smell it. But if there's too much of it, you'll smell it and then pass out. And then that's not good. So make your wine in a well-ventilated area. Um, Okay. You know, that might be your garage and you're leaving a window open that's in your garage or you're leaving Mm -hmm. your... um, your garage door cracked a little bit just to let some of that airflow in or Mm -hmm. if everything has to be up tight because you um it's not safe for you to leave your garage door open or whatever just make sure you can open those garage doors and get a fan going um i don't think most home winemakers need a carbon dioxide monitor Mm -hmm. and it's not even required for most um most wineries like for safety and everything so just be smart Know that if you have pets too, like they're not going to know what that funny smell is. So Mm -hmm. don't let them be in an area where fermentation is going on. Same with kids. Um, You might want to be able to have things locked up if you're not in there monitoring them. And also, you know, you want to keep it sanitary from those dogs and kids that might be, (laughs) you know licking it I don't know. <laughs> yes and grapes are not very good for dogs um so just be very careful oh. with that yeah um I know that a lot of dogs um are uh omnivores as mu- you know as much as we like to think of them as com- carnivores they're more omnivores and they'll eat a lot of things but grapes are not good yeah. for dogs so 
Like grass. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just always think about dogs eating grass. You're like, what are you doing? And that's the biggest safety thing. So the other like minor safety things would be you, you know, you bottle something and it's not done fermenting and you don't use the right bottles and then you have exploding bottles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're storing those bottles in case boxes and really you're just going to have a mess to clean up rather than it's yeah. unsafe. But do be careful. Okay. Final question. Are there any other questions that I should have asked? <laughs> just a fun fun thing. I always use this for reference checks yeah. for people. It's just like, what else What else should I have asked that I didn't right. that we should be aware of? Um, I feel like we covered a lot of really good stuff. Um, None. Great <laughs> answer. Um, <laughs> just have fun with it too. Like if you, okay, don't sink your family fortune into home winemaking. It's not... <laughs> It's again a hobby, not like you're not going to make it rich off of this. So don't go out and spend too much money. Like if you're worried about, oh, that seems kind of expensive, maybe, maybe try to find another way to do it that's less expensive. Um, because it's like not a trash can. <laughs> right. Remember the trash can. Have the mentality of like yes. being creative with it. And hey, you don't have to get that stainless steel seven hundred dollar crazy bin right. when you can use a ten dollar trash can, right? Or whatever a trash can costs. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, right probably now. <laughs> like forty dollars. I would guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> ten dollars is probably a tiny trash can. <laughs> But that might be the size of trash can you need, depending on how many grape clusters you have to pick. So, yeah. It's like a one-foot trash can, not a two-foot trash can. Right. For stomping. So That um, was a bad joke. (laughs) um, Also, feel free to, like, reach out to us. If you have very particular questions about why your fermentation is struggling or... uh, Maybe don't don't write in and ask us what kind of grapes you have growing in your yard because, like, that's... I don't know, <laughs> but, um, but I'm sure if you have grapes growing in your yard, you can make wine out of them. That's going to be my answer to you. Yeah. So if you want to make wine, do it. Thanks so much, Haley. Um, I, I think I learned a few things to think about for my, I know it's not wine, but pear pressing. Yeah, and, I'm and excited pear to hear making. how the rest of it goes. I am about ready to go on to the next step of uh, fermenting. Actually. Uh-huh. and putting it Exciting. so because I was only getting them in small batches and I was doing it so I went through and like fr- froze all the juice so now I have all the juice and so then we're gonna like go to the next step Very and cool. so which I'm excited to learn and I was just chatting with my friend about it last night and she said I was like, so how long will this be? Like a half a day? And she's like, no, probably like an hour. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Like to get them ready and like on to the next step. So I was like, oh, this is so great. So, um, but sorry for that diversion. No, Back to what we're talking about. But I'm yeah, excited to hear uh, how it goes. Yeah. So and to try I just, it. just for, you know, we all know Haley's a professional, but for all of you that are like, oh my word, what am I going to do? I'm going <laughs> to kill myself. I'm there with you. We have commodity and we can go and we can do this and have fun with it as Haley recommended. So on that note, if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and not miss the next one. Those subscriptions we're learning are very important for um, just boosting our 
ratings and getting our podcast out to everyone else. The other really important thing that you can do if you're enjoying this, if you're not enjoying this, then, you know, I don't know, go watch some Netflix and, and, <laughs> and ponder that. But if you are enjoying it, then go ahead and review us on especially Apple Podcasts, but any other platforms that you might have. Um, and again, like I said, it just helps others uh, hear about us and get our name out there. So we have a couple of fun topics in the wings and that would be green wine. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, how to keep those yeasties happy during fermentation. Uh, we talked about fermentation a little bit ago, and we'd love to uh, kind of dive back into that conversation and get a little bit more specific. Um, and then also, what happens in the winter during the vineyard? We Winter is coming, and so let's see what we need to do to prepare for that. So if you have any questions about these topics or any other topics that you are interested in hearing us discuss, please email them in. You can reach us at wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. Just Google Whole Cluster Conversation and slide into those DMs with your questions. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.